0: chapter eight of the last of the vikings by johann boyer translated by jesse muir this librivox recording is in the public domain eight that night in Grottoi, eleseus Hula could not sleep he was ready enough to take part in any fun and he had helped to thrash the Namdal men but he was one of those who preferred to let others stand treat and always made his escape in good time AND NOW HE LAY THINKING ABOUT HIS LAST SUNDAY AT HOME. THEY WERE TO HAVE TAKEN THE SACRAMENT TOGETHER, HE AND BERET, BUT INSTEAD OF THAT, IT CAME ABOUT THAT HE BEAT HER, AND IN CHURCH THE PRIEST HAD SAID IN HIS SERMON THAT WE MUST ALL ONE DAY STAND IN THE PRESENCE OF GOD. SUPPOSE IT WERE TOMORROW THAT HE HAD TO STAND THERE. THEY WERE TO SET OUT ACROSS THE West Fjord TOMORROW. He was no coward, and at sea he was as good as anyone, and yet he now lay sighing. Oh God, he prayed, Oh God, forgive me all the evil I've done. Oh God Oh God. That same evening Cornelis Gumon went inland alone until he came to a large farm where a light was burning in an upper window. She was sitting there perhaps, and perhaps with a baby. It was two years ago when they had lain here weather-bound that he had met her it was wicked of him to pretend that he was the son of a rich man and could take her home to a large farm if she would have him since then she had written that she was going to have a child and then again after that and he had never answered any of her letters he now wandered round the house in the darkness a dog began to bark but cornelis kept at a good distance perhaps she was sitting in that room he thought and was probably as pretty as she had been in those days and here he was wandering about in the darkness and could do nothing at last he turned and took the road to the shore once more but stopped to look back at the light in the window then he set off at a run as if to escape from it all but afterwards slackened his pace a little swinging his body from side to side and singing as he went the next morning they set out in a northerly gale through snow that stung like hail and over long rolling billows Lars stood in the bow with the other two bailing incessantly as the waves foamed high above them and broke into the boat when he glanced up for a moment there was no land to be seen the sky was fog and the sea was green rolling mountains with crests of foam the sea seemed so vast and the boat so tiny they went down head first into the trough of a wave and it grew dark about them they climbed up another mountain and it grew lighter and lighter then they rowed for a little while upon the back of the wave which carried them on a little but once more dived down into another valley with a chill of suspense, would they ever come up again?" In the midst of all this, Arndt lost his wits, and, falling on his knees and raising his wool-gloved hands above his head, cried out again and again, "'Lord, save us! We perish!' until a voice thundered from the stern, "'Pitch him overboard!' Lars was afraid, but it helped him just to look at his father. He had never known what his father was like until today. The boat seemed to wail and groan under the pressure that the headman put upon her. He seemed to be standing there with clenched teeth, determined to make her yield even at the risk of his life. He had a wife and children, and there were such things as banks and tradesmen, but today he thought of nothing but his boat, today he rode upon clouds and wind— a gigantic billow comes out of the sky capable of dashing them down to certain death but kristaver sees at once what angle he will cut it off and he pulls in the sheet to give the boat power for a good start and they mount up and up the giant wave are carried along by it and then once more plunge downward will they manage it the black line of a squall comes racing over the foaming wave crests But Christaver can feel how much his boat can bear, and he runs her into the teeth of the wind and shouts, Slack the sheet! Slack the sheet! Alesius repeats, and lets it out, so that the sail is relaxed and only half the wind can act upon it. While they plunged along, Christaver also kept an eye on his companion boats, for on such a day something might happen and there might be need for help. Through the storm he could see the sea-fire with her striped sail, which looked no bigger than a gnat's wing on the sea, and farther west the sea-flower was plunging along with her tanned sail at one moment standing high against the sky, at the next disappearing in the trough of a wave, and then, after what seemed a long time, coming once more into view. There were hundreds of boats on the west fjord, but the sea is great and they could hardly see one another the wind increased and large had to go to the mast to mind the priar so that only kaneles was left to do the baling of the bow for arndt stood holding on to the thwart looking more dead than alive and trembling all over suddenly without any warning the wind fell and it became calm in the middle of the west fjord but a little later it grew darker in the west with another wind a west wind the sail was reset and for a time they ran on in a choppy sea because the wind and the waves beat against one another the fog lifted the sky cleared and it became intensely cold the men were wet through with the waves and with perspiration from the hard bailing and when they now had to stand still in the cold the sea water turned to ice on their clothes, and the perspiration froze upon their bare bodies. Their teeth chattered, and they danced up and down and swung their arms, half mad with the icy cold in their joints and limbs. The seal sailed on, and the headman brought out his compass. The dusk was beginning to fall, when suddenly his face brightened, and he bit off a quid. There was a yellowish evening light upon the sea from the long fiery beams in the sky far down in the southwest. But what was that right ahead? Lars gazed and forgot that he was cold. He saw between sea and sky a long layer of dark blue cloud, and above it other clouds that were white. "'and in the golden light from the evening sky "'it all looked like a fairyland of blue and white and gold. "'Look there,' he said to Kaneles. "'Yes, that's Lofoten,' said Kaneles. "'What nonsense! It's a bank of cloud, isn't it?' "'No, it's mountain-right enough. "'It's the Lofoten Wall,' answered Kaneles, "'jumping up and down and beating his arms upon his chest.' there will be a dram for us this evening.' Laj went on gazing as they drew nearer and nearer. This was Lofoten, about which he had heard ever since he was a tiny boy, a land in the Arctic Ocean that all boys along the coast dreamed of visiting some day, a land where exploits were performed, fortunes were made, and where fishermen sailed in a race with death.' Through hundreds of years they had migrated thither, and many of them had lost their lives on the sea. A few returned home with well-filled pockets, but the greater number sailed to the end of life in poverty. Yet they went up again and again, year after year, generation after generation. It was their fairyland of fortune. They had to go. And now the turn had come to Lach, now he was to see Lofoten the banks of cloud between sky and ocean turned into solid mountains a long chain of blue mountains running southwest streaked with snow and with snowdrifts on their summits they were like an army of stone giants that had crossed the sea and had stopped here to consider yellow beacon lights were already visible flashing out between sea and mountain and there was the distant sound of the waves breaking upon the cliffs and islands of the rocky shore It was as if the ocean sang the boats on the west fjord now steered by the beacons toward the various fishing stations at which they were to live during the fishing season that winter late in the evening the seal worked her way up through a sound with red and green beacon lanterns on either side within at the foot of a perpendicular mountain wall lay the station with innumerable lights shining from houses and wharves on land, and from cabins and masts in the harbour, and reflected in wavy streaks in the black water of the bay and the sound, from which there rose a penetrating odour of fish-oil, pitch, and fish. The seal dropped her grapnel, to wait until the inspector had assigned her her place, and there she lay, among the streaks of light, "'gray with all the spray that had frozen upon her as she crossed the west fjord. "'The men tramped ashore, their joints stiff and their clothes crackling as the ice on them broke as they walked. "'They made for a low, yellow-painted little house, which stood among hundreds of others of the same description, and had a turf roof. "'It was the hut that they were to share with the crew of the Sea Fire this winter.' Kristaver, however, made his way straight to the telegraph station, where he managed to scrawl with a swollen hand the telegram which he always sent, with the same wording every year, and which wives and children were waiting for in a few grey cottages far away in the south. Arrived safely, all well, Kristaver. This done, he straightened himself and took a deep breath. He had stood at the helm all day from early morning, and such a day on the West Fjord takes it out of one. When the men arrived at the hut, they found the door blocked by a great snowdrift, and while the others set out to kick it away, Cornelis went to fetch the key from the station-king at the shop. When at last they were able to open the door, the snow fell on the floor before them. The room was empty— for it was here that the sacks of flour barrels boxes of provisions and nets were to be stacked when the time came in the inner room the first thing they saw when a match was struck was snow that had sifted in over the floor and into the bunks along the wall a little window that looked upon the sound was covered outside with sea spray and inside with cobwebs and the rest of the floor was black and there was an odor of fish skin rugs and damp mould this room was to be the home of the two boats crews twelve men in all for the winter it was as cold as a boat house end of chapter eight